Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good morning. It's Troy Dooley, host of RealMentorsRadio.com. Hope you had a phenomenal weekend. Give you an update on my dad uh, for those that, that truly do hang with us. And I appreciate it, man. We have people listening now, uh, literally, I think it's now up to 60 different countries, and I appreciate that very much. Uh, but over the weekend, the uh, the surgeon team got together and made the final conclusion that they will not be able to operate on Dad. His blockage is just way, way too um, too too heavy. I guess would be the word I'd use here. There's there's a thirty percent chance that he could he could pass away on the operating table. But their biggest concern is he's too weak to follow through on the rehab. And if you have studied anything about open-heart surgery, it's really the rehab uh, that can be there. So uh, sometime this week, my mom and my dad will will go back home where they will enjoy each other, enjoy their time here on this earth uh, until the good Lord takes dad home. Uh, And uh, hopefully they're going to stabilize his kidneys and his liver and stuff. But anyway, I wanted to keep you guys abreast of what's going on. We are in Chapter 4. Appreciate Your Constituents. This is the book, Credibility, How Leaders Gain It and Lose It, and Why People Demand It. Uh, This book was written by Barry Posner and uh, Gary Cowes, uh, who wrote Leadership Challenge, or Coups, I should say. Beautiful book. Listen how they start this. It says, I have learned that a good leader takes the time to break the ice, get to know his or her team on a personal level, and then they go on to be a great leader. This came from Hillary Hall. She says, but a great leader will go one step further and learn about each person's values, how they build trust, and what's the core to their motivation and drive. They then share the team's values as well as their own and align the team around a strong focal point of working together towards a shared goal. This is huge, and from from a direct-selling network marketing standpoint, listen up a little bit. Because unlike employees, you're leading a volunteer organization. And that means they can take their volunteer time and go anywhere else. But if you will align, if you'll get to know them on a personal level, get dig, dig deep, then you all can focus on that shared vision, those shared goals of where you're going. And I get excited because I have seen Richard Brooke do this. I've seen uh, Gary Reiser over at, uh, or Gary Racer over at Limu do this. I've seen uh, Corey Citron and the Yoli boys do this. And when you look at people that will, will build off of this, the sky, the limit, and those companies that I just named are growing this year like crazy. I mean, it's been a beautiful 2011 for them. And I could go on and on with leaders that I have watched from the outside doing this type of thing. Matter of fact, when you look at all the leaders that are inside of the direct selling world, those that grew the most last year grew this way. Garrett McGrath and Sylvia's beautiful wife, they were doing this. See, what Hillary just described is a, a highly diverse audit review. It's where you're taking each of your team members and saying, where are their strengths at? See, this, 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 and, and, what, what is the word I want to look at? Antiquated. The antiquated idea that it's rank and file is gone. Your rank does not dictate whether you're a leader or not. 
And when you're building around people, you have to look at where their strengths are on the team to make it happen. Seth Godin talks about this in Lynchpin. This is great here. One of the things that came up in one of their other reviews came from a guy named Matt. He said, our manager appreciated our diversity and wanted to align the team around a common set of values, both personal and professional, and at the same time show the team what was important to him also. This was an especially imperative since our internal audit work was extremely deadline-oriented, often stressful, and required us to be at work at the work site for two weeks at a time. It was a demanding work environment, and I believe our success as individual auditors was contingent on our success at a team which began with mutual respect and trust. They go on and they say, I think if we had not aligned ourselves around common values, the effectiveness of the team as well as the manager's credibility would have suffered. See, this is the kicker. If you're leading a company or you're leading a team of any kind, you've got to have a shared set of values. And the only way that you can get a shared set of values is not to be dictating to people what your values are. It's to listen. It's to learn. It's to to really get on a personal level. And this goes against a lot of what baby boomers and, and the building generation were taught. They were taught, hey, you're a manager. You don't hang out with the rank and file. You don't co- cohabitate, do all that crap. And that's wrong. You have to get to know each other personally. One of my closest couples at church, uh, she was an enlisted. He's an officer. He's a pilot, and she worked in the back of the planes. And they just fell in love with each other. First came that mutual respect, the shared values and the shared goals of making sure that C-130 was going to fly. And little by little, they fell in love. Now, that's on a personal level, but the same thing rings true on a professional level. You have to fall in love with your team members. You have to, you have to realize you're a family that are going to hang out together. The guy's right. Researchers have found that organizations with adaptive performance-enhancing cultures outperform non-adaptive unhealthy ones precisely because their emphasis is on attending to all of the constituents. That's big. I'm telling you, you're going to hear me throughout the year say it's not about leaders and followers. It's about leaders and and, and, uh, constituents. Your whole goal as a leader should be to build up leaders not increase your following. If you want to run a cult, then you can do that. But you don't do that if you're building a business of any kind. See, the credibility strengthening process begins with the clarification of your personal goals, your beliefs, but it can only grow. You can only go from good to great to coin Jim Collins' phrase by being constituent-oriented to where you, where, where you care about them so much that they say, we're going we're gonna to do and we're going to trust you. Art Williams said it this way, people only care how much you know when they know how much you care. So what you've got to do is you've got to shift from this self-indulging focus. When you shift from a self-focused to an other's focus, and you're doing it through a value-based system, sky's the limit. 100%, the sky is the limit 
on where you can go. The key is, are you going to do it? Because you got to do it, and you got to do it, and you got to do it. You can't just pretend. You can't just start and change your mind. When you start playing around with values, yours and other people, this thing is so deep and it's so heavy that if you start and say, oh, man, I can't do this. This is, this is just too much for me. You will lose. You will not win. It's funny because scholars have argued that when managers fail to take values into account, their own as well as others, they will be personally ineffective and the same will ring true at an organizational level. See, when you're blowing off the value system, and, and I'll tell you, let's let's look at this for a second. Let's let's look at uh, let's look at some great, I mean, great companies that are no longer in existence today. Enron, Enron changed the whole landscape of utilities in the the late '90s, early 2000s. But because they were not valued, focused from the CEO's office to the people in the field. Now, talking about the lower-end people. I'm talking about it starts at the top and it works its way through management. Because they did not focus on each other's values or their own values, that company no longer exists. Health South, MCI, Bernie Madoff, Barney Madoff, whatever the heck his name was. Prime example. Same thing rings true with network marketing, direct selling companies. Same thing rings true with other companies. If a company is not growing and it has nothing to do with their industry, or they start to die and it and, and it's not has anything to do with their industry, then it has to do with ethics. Look at Wall Street. Wall Street went went through some crazy time periods. It all had to do not with ethics, with values, with the flat fact that nobody was worried about values. Everybody got into the greed mode, and it wasn't just happening at Wall Street. It happened at Main Street. That's why Wall Street was able to get away with it, and this happens all the time. Great teams, sports teams, business teams, spiritual teams, I don't care what niche you look at. When they're a value-focused organization where they're building on each other and they're building on the core corporate values, it works. Here's a prime example of a company that should have been out of business in the 1970s, Tylenol. Tylenol, though, was valued focus before valued focus was cool. And because of that, they were able, when they had the the Tylenol murders, where people were taking Tylenol and dying because somebody played around with it, Tylenol didn't say, well, that's not our fault. That happened at the store level, which it did. Instead, what they did was they recalled every Tylenol that was out there, got rid of it, and changed the pharmaceutical industry for over-the-counter drugs, and now everything has a seal on it. Valued focused. See, the status quo doesn't work. And if you're in a direct selling company, and, and you're still using some of this antiquated crap from the 1960s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, it doesn't work. You don't tell your downline what to do. You don't have your downline follow you. I'm not talking about getting rid of duplication. Do not get me wrong here. You've, you've got to provide a groundwork. You've got to provide a system. That, that gives structure. What I'm saying is you better get to know your team. You better not just be slapping them up against the wall in the three-foot rule, 
hoping something sticks and they become some number. That doesn't work. And I believe that direct selling and network marketing has been leading the way of what we're talking about here from credibility because you can actually see a net increase in sales and a net increase in distributors over the last 20 years. This is huge. When other industries have have failed, merged, gone away, the direct selling industry has increased the different industries that are now part of our marketing channel or our community. In other words, this old concept of look out for number one, it's gone. It's a it's a has been slogan that doesn't work. Today's managers have to place a greater emphasis on understanding the need of the work group. And I'm not talking about managers in just the sense of corporate America. I'm talking about you're managing your business, you're leading an organization, you have to be focused on them, not on you. That's what builds a credible leader. Listen to this. This this might help here. Here's the stats. Where executives had previously reported uh, reported careers providing them the most satisfaction in life, which was 54% uh, in the 1990s versus 38% for a home business. In other words, people felt better when they were out there in corporate America than they were at the home. That is now flip-flopped. 62% favor home and only 22% favor a career. I believe that's because more and more people are working out of the home. All of a sudden, we have changed. And you can thank the technology arena for that. All of a sudden, we are home business people. Matter of fact, the, the, the home business radio network will launch on the 25th of this month. I happen to, to be the news director for that brand-new network that's a worldwide network. I, I don't own it. I don't have anything to do with it. They just asked me to come on board and, and be the news director. I'm telling you, this is what I'm seeing is because home business, not just network marketing, I'm talking about I'm talking about single-line marketing, direct marketing. I'm talking about manufacturers, reps. I'm talking about those people that, that are in the handcrafted cottage industries. I'm talking about people that actually work for major international corporations that work out of their homes. It has become such a huge shift. And here's what happens. That's driven values to the corporate arena because people are realizing at a corporate level now, hey, it's not about a career. It's about life. It's about hanging out with people, hanging out with my family, doing what I'm supposed to do. If you don't believe me, you can, you can go and, and look at some of the stuff Jason Dorsey has written and stated about the, the, the Generation Y. They are more family-focused than their parents were. And there's 80 million of them running around the United States. See, this is gigantic. I use the word diversity. Probably kind of strange coming from a southern boy. For some reason, the South is not known to embrace diversity. Hasn't been since, I don't know, the start of the Civil War in 1861. There's always been that that stigma in the South that we don't like diversity. And, And it's wrong. It's not correct. But I thought it was humorous as I started into this little segment in the chapter. See, if you're going to be values-focused and you're going to be focusing on your constituents, 
and you're building an international or even a national but different segments of, of the United States or just in North America, there's going to be diversity. I live in a city that I started visiting in 1990. And in 1990, there was no diversity in this town. It was all white people, period. I mean, there wasn't any. You can look at the census. Today, in 2012, we are a very diverse city. The Latino community is thriving and growing. The black community is thriving and growing. The Asian community is thriving and growing. The European community is thriving and growing. And us good old southern boys are still kicking butt and taking names. And it's funny because I don't know if you've ever heard of an, an Asian person that's been born in the south. they got a southern draw, too. It's kind of cute. Diversity is the key. That's how you enrich performance. When you start to understand the other people on your team, I call this authentic collaboration. All of a sudden, you're dealing with Asian people, with Mideastern people. You're dealing with different uh, cultures, with different religions, with different backgrounds, economics. And all of a sudden, you start to realize what's important to other people is not important to you. And you start to realize that some things that you thought were important for the success of the team aren't important at all. And the results get to explode. One of my <clears throat> one of my distant mentors, Anthony Robbins, back at the at the start of the Iraqi war, got so frustrated because he 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 knew the war we had to do it, we didn't have a choice, but it doesn't mean that he liked it. And he thought, man, if there was a way that I could bring together Muslims and Jews and they could learn to work side by side to each other. I mean, their history goes back to the same father. How would that change the Mideastern picture? Could we end a war faster? Could we stop future wars? He now has an organization where college kids from, from Islamic, Muslim colleges, and, and Jewish colleges come together and they work together. And it's really interesting because what starts out as a uh, really a love-hate situation turns into, man, just authentic collaboration like you wouldn't believe. We have to do the same thing. See, we live in a multicultural world, and the differences have to be recognized and acknowledged. I'm not saying you change the way you believe. I'm saying you need to understand how other people believe. And then you need to use the John Maxwell rule. Find the 1% that's a shared value that you're going to agree on, give it 100% of your efforts. See, here's what makes, you can write this down, here's what makes great working relationships between people of different genders, age, ethnics, and racial backgrounds. And I'm probably one of those whacked out people because when I, it talks about, about um, gender. I'm still one of those guys that when I see a beautiful woman dressed pretty, I'll tell her, you look beautiful. And people say, oh my gosh, isn't that sexual harassment? I hope she doesn't think that. I hope she realizes that somebody took notice that she took notice of herself. And I've, I've got women in my family that do the same thing. When they see a good-looking guy, I say, man, you really look handsome. See, those are called manners. That's called working together. Just because a man or a woman opens their mouth doesn't mean there's got to be some sexual window, no matter what the TV tells you. 
Now, here's what you got to do. This comes from the research that's here. There's four characteristics we've got to look at. One, the relationships are going to involve the whole person. Okay, you can't, you can't arbitrarily separate business from your personal life. It doesn't happen. You can't, you can't say, okay, this is business, now I'm going to go over here and I'm going to have fun and I'm going to have pleasure and I'm going to have... No, it's all one. You are one whole person. So you need to include the family. Art Williams was phenomenal at this. Him and Angela started the Partners Program. Now I see it at Longevity, and it's great. I love this kind of stuff. See, the unsung hero is the family. If you're busting your butt in sales, I don't care what, what sales. I don't care if it's insurance, what it is. The unsung hero are the families at home. So the relationship involves the whole person. This is what happens when you're building an organization in a multicultural world. Number two, the excellent working relationships have a sense of a shared history that's developed over time. See, you want to work with your team, and you guys are going to build some history. You're going to go to big events, small events. You're going to work together, three-way calls. You're going to work locally, and you work together. When you build that kind of camaraderie, you don't have attrition. Number three, there's a strong sense that each person's values, of each person's values, and we affirm those with each other. Just because somebody doesn't totally agree with you doesn't mean they're wrong. Prime example, I love a brunette. I married her. I'm not real big into blondes. But I've got my best friend that loves blondes. Does that make him wrong and me right? No. Is this a little bit far-fetched? Yes, but I want to, I want to make it clear. That's, that's how stupid sometimes people get. Well, you're right and I'm wrong. Well, I'm right and you're wrong. No, we're just different. Now, there are some absolutes, so don't get me wrong here. But when it's dealing in business, most of the time it has nothing to do with absolutes unless it has to do with ethics. Third thing. There's a strong sense that each person's value. Oh, I already did that one. One, two, three. We're going into uh, the relationships are collaborative rather than competitive. See, this stuff about you got to compete, compete, compete. Not when you're on the same team, you don't. What you want to do there is you want to collaborate together. See, that's why I'm talking about authentic collaboration in the network marketing arena. We are all on the same team, wanting the same end game. We want our families' lives to change either financially or through health. So why would we sit there and be, be belly aching about somebody else's business? Oh, there's, there's socks. You need to join mine. That's another one of those antiquated things, man. If, you're gonna, if you want to survive, don't do that stuff. This is what builds it. See, being able to build relationships starts with being able to learn how to understand and see things through others' perspectives. Let's take the religious community for a minute. Let's just take the Protestant. Do you realize that until, I don't know, sometime back there in the Dark Ages, when Martin Luther decided that the Catholic Church had 95 things that were totally wrong, everybody just went to one church. It was a Catholic Church. It didn't matter if you were, if you were European. It didn't matter if you were Latino. It didn't matter where you were at. That's just the way it was. You Mid East, you know, that's just the way it was. And then they had a difference in of opinion. Then all of a sudden, because the king wanted to be able to screw around, you got the Church of England. So you got the Catholic Church, Church of England. Now you got the Catholic Church, Church of England, 
you got the Presbyterians, the Lutherans, the Methodists, all the Baptists, you got all this stuff. See, why, why is it? It's because people didn't want to start seeing things through other people's perspectives. See, none of the breakups in the spiritual Protestant community had anything to do with any of these denominations disagreeing with the essential doctrines of the Bible brought down by the creeds. It had to do with their own personal ego. You cannot let your ego get out of whack. You've got to listen and understand. See, when marriages and friendships fall apart, people often say, well, we don't understand each other anymore. We just don't see things the same way. Sadly, the same thing runs true with strategic alliances and mergers. You put a team together and somebody wants to leave, you want to know why they want to leave? Somebody's not listening. You have to listen. You have to focus. You have to listen to what the team's saying. One of the things that is so good, and most people in network marketing say, I can't believe you'd say this. Okay, I believe we should have constructive controversy. If your team wants to grow, if you want to build something big, the CEO needs to listen to the field, and it needs to be constructive controversy. If the team says, man, we need this, then you guys need to get together. You need to fly the leaders into the home office. You need to sit down, and you all start to talk. If a leader on your team is doing something and somebody else disagrees with it, you all need to get together and have some good constructive controversy. See, not necessarily is that a bad thing. That's why the word constructive is there. Every time there's an ounce of criticism or controversy, there is some truth to it. And when you work together and people have strong opinions and there's huge disagreements on the team and you've got the freedom to be able to look at the boss and say, man, I don't like that. I don't agree with you. I, think that's, I don't think that's right. We need to look at it from another perspective. Then it helps the team grow. Some of my clients that I'm, I'm seeing this month, <clears throat> we're making some huge changes, or at least I'm going to tell them, you've got to make some huge changes. Because this is a one-sided deal, and it's not going to work. If you want to build your company, if you want to build your brand, then you've got to let other people inside also. Because it's a we, not a me, if you want to make it work. So you've got to have some constructive controversy on the team. That's, man, I'm telling that's big. I mean, think about it. What, what is it? I mean, your marriage is that way, so why the heck wouldn't you want your business to be that way? I don't know about you, but if I was married to a woman that just said yes, sir, all the time, I would be so bored to tears, I'd be having an affair every freaking night. I want some backbone. If my kids were just totally complacent, yes, sir, daddy, whatever you say, daddy, it would suck. I want them to have some backbone and question some of the things I tell them in a constructive way. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about dull, negative, disillusioned crybabies. I'm talking about constructive controversy so that we get rid of the closed-mindedness, we get rid of the inadequate, inadequate, I'll get it out, evaluations, and say, no, we don't want any new information, no, we're not going to change, no, we're just going to keep the status quo. Absolutely not. Get rid of that crap. You got to roll it forward. You got to focus. We can't cover everything in this chapter. It's so big. But here's some of the, the, the key points. The more leaders and constituents 
comprehend each other's perceptions, concerns, and value, the greater their ability to work together. Credible leaders actively appreciate the diversity of their constituents. Appreciation begins with deeply listening to other people. Credible leaders always ask for feedback. Promoting constructive controversy leads to better decisions and builds commitment. Credible leaders trust others to be trustworthy. Credible leaders demonstrate their trustworthiness by acting in the best interest of others, not themselves. That is huge. That is big. Tomorrow, Chapter 5, Affirm Shared Values. Guys, thank you. This isn't about me. You can go buy this book on Amazon. You can go to uh, the networkmarketingadvocates.com bookstore and pick it up. Uh, Whatever you want to do, but you need to get this book. It will help you lead your life, lead your family, lead your business better. Live life like it's an epic adventure. I'll see you at the top. Be back here tomorrow with us for RealMentorsRadio.com. Bye now.